Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. from the Lord this morning. You need something from God today. Praise the Lord. Jonah chapter number 1 and verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish for the presence from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind in the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. In verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. I want to read... um, just the first part of verse 5 again. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, little g, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down in the sides of the ship. And uh, I simply just want to lift a few words there and use it as our subject title or maybe add just a little bit to it and call this this morning from this subject for the sake of the wares for the sake of the wares praise God we need the Lord's help we need the Lord to help us to talk to us today I want to be challenged through his word how many knows the word of God has answers to all of life's situations, difficulties, challenges. It tells us what we need to know to be saved, and it corrects us along our journey. Praise God. And I want to open my heart to the Word of the Lord today. Would you pray with me that the Lord would anoint us and He would have His way in this service. Jesus, we thank You so very much again for the opportunity to be in Your house, to feel Your touch, Your presence, Your anointing that we feel here this morning. And I am praying, God, that you would work in this service and through this message to touch somebody's heart this morning. Help us, oh God. We want to be saved. We want our families to be saved. We want those under our influence to be saved. I'm praying, God, that you would bless this service this morning in every way. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, once again, let's give praise to the Lord this morning.
Thank you for standing and you may be seated. The book of Jonah is a very fascinating book. It's not a very large book, we know. It's one of those minor prophets, and if you're just flipping through your Bible rapidly, you might miss it. But it is a powerful, powerful story. It's one that we remember as far back as our Sunday school days. I remember on one particular occasion we had a brother here that was doing a, a children's revival for us. And I don't know how he was able to do it, but uh, I was amazed by his engineering. He got, uh, I think it was plastic trash bags somehow, and, and had made a big well. And in one end, he put a box fan and blew that thing up and got inside of it and preached to the children, gave them a little tour of the inside of it. And I don't know if many of you remember that, uh, but... Uh, what a story, and it's something that is fascinating and mesmerizing, and it's captivated us because uh, don't know many stories quite like it, and it almost seems like a fairy tale, but it is true because it is in the Word of God. The Bible says that a man was swallowed by a great fish. And the book of Jonah begins really with a call from God. And we know that a call from God is a very powerful thing. It has a very powerful impact upon a person's life. In fact, a person is never the same after they receive a true call from God. It's something that you cannot just go on and ignore and act like it didn't happen. And the Lord spoke to Jonah and said, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. In other words, I've got a message that I want you to preach that is going to be contrary to the ways and the lifestyle and the culture that is in Nineveh. I want you to cry against it. But I'm drawn to those words, a great city. Because it seems to encapsulate two things. It seems to underscore the fact that this city contained great challenges, opposition, and even spiritual resistance. And if you've studied anything about Nineveh, even from a historical point of view, you'll know that this is a very wicked society that we're speaking of. And even even among all the pagan societies and cultures throughout time and history, this one stands out as one of the most wicked, if not the most wicked. But as much as it suggests that there is opposition, and it suggests that there would be challenges for this man of God, Jonah, it also seems to suggest that this city possesses great potential. And that there is opportunity here. This great city. I want you to go there. There's a lot of folks there. There's a lot of spiritual resistance among those people. A lot of things that are controlling them that are contrary to the ways of God. But I still want you to go because there's great potential. And I have found in my relationship with God and even through uh, just uh, ministry and looking into the Word of God and studying this fact, 
is that the greater the opposition, the greater the resistance, the greater the challenge oftentimes, is greater victory and potential for greater conquest and revival for you and I. Amen. The devil doesn't fight and resist if there's not something for him to lose. If there's not something for you and I to tremendously gain from it, well, he would just roll over and let us take it and possess it. But if he's resisting you, and he is fighting against it. There must be something that God wants to do for you in that. There must be some blessing that you're going to receive from it. So we should never shrink away from any challenge if God has called us to it. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to stand back and wonder what the end result is going to be. But if God has called us to do something, as I've said many times before, that he never calls you if he's unwilling to equip you. If he's unwilling to anoint you and enable you and empower you to be a success, then he would have never called you in the first place. But God, when he calls us to do something, and I'm not necessarily just talking about in some area of ministry like as the example of Jonah. I'm not just speaking of some... Uh, area that, that maybe we're wanting to work for God in, but there's things in our lives that God speaks to us about specifically and calls us to change and make adjustments in and to maybe step up into uh, another level of consecration, another level in our calling and walk with God. And we don't have to shrink away from those things either, even when we feel resisted in it, even when we know that the devil is fighting against us. But if God has called us to closer walk with him, greater things in him, greater anointing in him, we know that God is going to enable us to achieve that and to fulfill that call in our lives. I remember with excitement feeling the call to uh, to go out into full-time ministry. And in my particular case, it was to, uh, to begin evangelizing and, and uh, didn't have a lot of certainties, didn't have a lot of promises or inv invitations even or a full calendar, but just uh, went out by faith, kind of reminded of Abraham that said he went out looking for a city that he had never saw whose builder and maker was God. And he just went out from all of his securities and all of his people and followed after God in faith. And that's how it is sometimes. And I remember that there was adversaries and there was opposition and there was many challenges and even suffered some losses. But I knew that God had orchestrated this. This was not just one of my ideas or concept that I had come up with, but this was God that had called me. And that if I would continue to be faithful and walk with him, that he would help and he would enable and he would make a way. And I stand here today with a testimony that he does do that. That he does make a way for us if we'll follow after him in faith. Amen. Somebody right now may be in the middle of doing something that God has called you to do. And, and there's a reluctance because it'd be a whole lot easier just to fall back in the traces of an old routine 
to go back to what you've always done, your old habitual ways of of doing things because that's what you're comfortable with. But maybe God is wanting you to step it up in some areas of your relationship with God in 2017. Perhaps he's wanting you to go to a greater place in your prayer life. Maybe he's wanting you to step it up to another level in your worship. Perhaps he's challenging your faith and you've never seen such obstacles as you've encountered here lately. But maybe God is trying to stretch your faith and if it wasn't for this sickness and if it wasn't for this financial struggle and if it wasn't for this challenge on the job if it wasn't for this family crisis you'd never know that God was a miracle worker in that way unless you had to stretch your faith and accept the challenge that God is calling you to so we don't have to shrink away from those things but sadly in our story instead of seeing the potential all that Jonah could see was the opposition and the obstacles. And the Bible says that he went down to Joppa. He purchased a fare or ticket to take a journey down to Tarshish. And each one of these decisions, it says that he went down to Joppa and he traveled down to Tarshish. It was a downward spiral. And I note that he had to pay his fare, he had to pay his way to go there. There's always a terrible price that is paid for being out of the will of God. There's always consequences involved when we don't respond appropriately to the call of God upon our lives. We may think that there's going to be a cost to face the challenges or the opposition. But I'm going to tell you the cost of not facing those things is the majority of the time far greater than when we have just faced those challenges in God and with the help of God and through the power and the enabling of the Holy Ghost. When we, when we are reluctant and when we rely upon our flesh instead of having faith and we turn back and we say, well, I, I just don't know if I can, the cost of that is usually far greater than the cost that is made when we consecrate and say, God, I don't know how it's going to happen, and I'm not sure the next step, but I'm just going to follow you, and I'm going to yield to you, and I know that you've called me into this. And rarely does being out of the will of God, just as in the case of Jonah, rarely does just being out of the will of God just affect you. Rarely do your decisions and your choices when it comes to this just impact you. But usually it affects others as well. I think one of the misconceptions among people is the attitude that my carnality, that my sin, that my wrong choices, that my wrong decisions, and my weaknesses and indiscretions and all of those things, they don't affect anybody but me. So when I make these decisions, I'm, I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl, I can do whatever I want to do, and it's only going to impact me, and I don't have a responsibility to nobody else but myself. But you couldn't be further from the truth. Because if you're a parent here today, your choices definitely impact your children. And somebody said, well, I, 
I'm not a parent, so I, I guess I'm exempt from that. But if you've got brothers and sisters, and especially if you're an older brother and sister, then your choices and your decisions impact those younger siblings that are looking to you. If you're in the church, there's somebody in the church that is more than likely under your influence in some way and is watching your life and using you as a guiding light and looking at you as an example. And we can shrug our shoulders and say, well, my, my life, my decisions, my choices, good or bad, they don't affect anybody else. But that's not true, sir. Because the Bible tells me that no man lives and no man dies to himself. Everybody influences someone. The Bible said by one man sin entered in the world. Because of one man's decision, you and I, everybody in this world has had to wrestle and grapple with sin ever since. So don't tell me that one person's decision does not impact other people's lives. Because carnality Sin and spirits of this world and, and things of the like are contagious. They have a way of, of rubbing off on others and impacting others. And my experience is, is that one bad apple can and often does spoil the whole barrel. The Bible says in Jonah's case that there were other men that were also on board this boat. He didn't just jump on a ship somewhere and sail it on his own and make his own way and make his own trek down to Tarsus. That wasn't how it happened. But he got on a boat that was already going there. Uh, a shipment had already been ordered to go down to Tarsus. And really, this man Jonah was just an interloper. He was just someone that caught this ship in the nick of time and bought a fare and said, I'm going to ride with them. The destination of this ship was already determined. And so he got on that boat along with these other men, these sailors, mariners of the sea. And while on their way to Tarsus, the Bible says that they encountered a great storm. And we, we read about many storms that God has used in the Scripture but this one here probably stands out more than others because God was using this particular situation that would seem like a negative to get Jonah back on course, to get Jonah back in his will, to get Jonah back to the place that he needed to be. And sometimes it takes a storm to save us. Sometimes it takes a situation that may seem negative to us in order to get our attention and to cause us to adjust and make some course corrections. And so this storm was so great and as time went on, it begins to intensify that even the mariners that had lived their lives on the sea, and this is what they did for a living, they grew afraid. And they knew that there was something very powerful and peculiar about this storm. And then it comes to this point in our text that I want to kind of hone down on and focus on and deal with here this morning. 
It was only natural when you're in a storm of this magnitude to throw anything of access overboard. Anything of excess to, to just let it go because, I mean, we're trying to save our lives here. We're trying to save the ship here and those that are on board. And there's some things that we're just not going to hold on to because they're not worth it. And so I'm sure it didn't start it didn't start with the wares that we're going to talk about. I'm sure it started with things that really didn't matter. Maybe there was excess food that was on the boat. What good is food going to do us? If we don't survive this storm, it isn't going to matter anyway. So they cast it overboard. Maybe there was things that they brought with them. Maybe there was books that they would read in their leisure time. They cast them overboard. We can't afford to have the weight of these books on board and so we cast them overboard and I know what it is a little bit to try to to, to hone down to things that are most needed you got to make decisions on certain journeys to uh, to get down to the basics you know what's really needed and I, I I understand because of the limitations that the airlines have put on us and charging us for extra luggage and all of that that nowadays people, I mean, they got to decide, they got to make a choice whether this is something that is really needed or not. And this was the choice that these mariners were faced with. We, we've got to, we got to throw some things overboard. Maybe there was some things that they'd carried on. Maybe it was excess clothing. Maybe there was other things, paraphernalia that they had brought with them. They cast it overboard because they needed to lighten their load so that they could survive this storm. But even as they did all of that, it still was to no avail. The storm just intensified and beat against the ship and their ship is taken on water and the mast of the ship has got rips and tears in it because of the fierce wind. And they're standing there on the slick deck of that ship, water cascading over the sides, wondering what they're going to do, how they're going to survive. And finally the captain has to make a decision that he doesn't want to make because he is hired, he has been commissioned for one purpose, and that is to take the cargo that is in the hold of that ship to the destination of Tarsus. That's what he's been hired. He's been entrusted to do that. That's what his job is. He's got a reputation that is on the line. That is the reason why he started this journey in the first place. And so he is, has to make that difficult choice. I've got to i got to take all of those boxes of cargo that are really what we're going to get paid for delivering, and that's where my livelihood is. i got to cast it overboard. And somewhere in this story, the real problem, the real reason for the storm, the real issue, the thing that needs to be cast over, He's went down into the lower parts of the ship. Maybe between those boxes of cargo, he's got him an old burlap sack that he's covered himself with, and he's snuggled up in a warm, dry place while these men are tossed and while these men are bailing water and while these men are trying to 
hold the mass together and trying to keep a direction and trying to survive. He is asleep. He's almost with the attitude that he doesn't care. He has no concern. He has no worries. It seems, I mean, it's amazing to me. A little bit of turbulence on a, on a plane, everybody's awake. I certainly am. I, I mean, I'm all looking out the windows and, and I'm asking, is everything all right? Because, I mean, when you're five miles up in the air, you don't want anything to go wrong. Oh, you're sitting there all pious this morning, but you, you agree with me. You don't want anything to go wrong either. And when that thing starts bucking and lurching and, 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 and turbulence and, and they start turning on those seatbelt signs and, well... If, if, I could, if I could sleep during that, I suppose I would, but I, I've never found anything more terrifying than being on a journey in an airplane and that thing start bucking. And I mean, I'm not talking about just a little bit of turbulence. I'm talking about really getting serious. And, and it's got everybody's attention. I haven't heard anybody cry out to Buddha. I haven't heard anybody say, oh, Muhammad. But it seems like everybody's Christians at that moment. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I've seen them sit down their cocktails and say, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Suddenly not interested in all those things. Yeah. I don't know how Jonah was sleeping, but that just tells you how out of touch he was. That just tells you how unconcerned and how unbothered he was and how really selfish he was. I'm going to tell you, sin is a very selfish thing. And if you think the devil cares about you, you got another thought coming. Because the only thing on his mind is destroying you. The only thing on his mind is bringing you down. The only thing on his mind is disrupting your journey. The only thing on his mind is to keep you from making your proper destination and to keep you out of the will of God and to destroy your life. And to hinder you on your quest to being blessed by God. That's his only desire. And so, finally, again, reluctantly, that captain tells the crew, he says, well, I don't want to do it. But you know what? We got we to gotta lighten our load even more. We've thrown everything that was ours overboard. Now we got to start throwing the cargo overboard. So go down there in the hold of that ship. Get all those wooden boxes and bring them up here and throw them overboard and one by one they begin to do it and and still it seems like the wind's picking up and still the waves get just a little bit higher and the boat's rocking with fierce winds that are blowing against it and it seems like there's not been any change and it's even getting worse and finally these guys they they don't know Jehovah, but they start, they start praying to their gods and their pagan gods and their idolatry and they start calling out to them, but to no avail. They cast lots among themselves. And the lot fell upon Jonah. They finally got him up. Finally, he was awakened and the lot fell on Jonah. And they looked at him and said, Man, your God must be some kind of angry with you. 
to send a storm like this. And Jonah finally comes clean and says, you know what? I am the reason why we're in this predicament. I have disobeyed God. I've went against God. I've went against His will and His purpose for my life. Everything would get better if you'd just toss me overboard. And at first, we understand that the captain didn't want to do it. These mariners didn't want to do it. Even these sea-faring men that were hardened and, and uh, men that didn't know much about compassion and certainly didn't know anything about God, they didn't want to do that. But finally, the storm was so fierce that they cast him overboard. And the Scripture tells us that when they cast him overboard, that the storm ceased and a great calm came. And it seems like that everything that they had searched for for the last several hours in trying to survive this storm, just suddenly everything changed and everything was different and the storm subsided and the wind ceased and now everything's calm and even they can see in the dark clouds as they're, they're kind of they're passing, and, and now the sun's coming out, and it's just its amazing to them how quickly things change. But then they look out on that sea, and they look around, and they see all of those boxes that they had cast overboard. Jonah, he's, he's fell into the sea, and a great fish has come and swallowed him up. He's gone. He's out of the picture but they look around and they see all of those boxes, cargo floating around them. And maybe they had to think to themselves, what's the reason, what's the purpose at this point of continuing on to Tarsus? Why, why would we continue our journey at this point? Because the reason why we even started the trip was because of the cargo and because of these wares that we were going to deliver down to Tarsus. But we've already cast them overboard. They're already destroyed. They're already soaking wet in water, seawater. They're no good to us no more. We can't collect it. We can't pick it back up. We can't deliver it. We can't act like it didn't happen. It's over with. All of these things have perished. We're sitting here with an empty ship and we have started a journey that we don't even need to continue on in. What would be the reason of going on? And my point is this. In an effort to hold on to something that was out of the will of God, they made a decision to cast everything of value overboard. And the Scripture tells us that in the end, that they cast the very reason for their journey overboard. And it's left them with really no reason to continue on and no reason to go on. And how many times in the Scripture do we have examples of people in a moment's time, in, a, in the heat of emotions, uh, in, a, in a situation where their feelings are caught up into something. Maybe it's in a, in a moment when they feel like that 
this thing, whatever it may be, that it, it seems so important, but in the big picture of everything, it's really just a minor thing. Maybe it's protecting their own feelings and emotions and maybe it's some sort of emotion that they want to let go that would have been better for them to hold in. It would have been better for them to keep it in check. It would have been better for them to not let it happen. And we see examples of this over and over again in the Scripture. The Bible tells me that there was a time when Cain his sacrifice was not accepted by God and he saw that his brother Abel's sacrifice was accepted and that Abel had followed the plan of God and God had blessed him and this brought a vengeance upon and anger upon Cain and a jealousy and the Bible said in a moment he rose up and slew his brother Abel And then he tried, probably realizing the guilt and the shame of all of this and what he had done. He went out and tried to hide him. And the Lord spoke to him and said, The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. What is that plea that I hear in my ear? Cain, why did you make such a decision in a heated moment of anger and hostility? Why did you fly off the handle? It's going to cost you dearly. And the Bible said from that moment he was a marked man and he was banished from the presence of God. And he went off and led his life in the land of Nod. And there he built a city and there was a people that came from that city. Meaning that there was great potential that Cain had to be a leader. He could build a city. But all of that potential was wasted because of one moment when he gave in to his anger. Being impulsive. And I've seen so many people in a moment of impulse leave scars on their lives and ruin their potential and wreck their future. And they cast everything that was precious and everything that was godly and everything that was wholesome overboard. There's a very startling statement in the Bible. God said, Jacob have I loved And Esau have I hated. I mean, you read that and you almost want to go back and read it again. God, did you say that? Jacob have I loved. Because there's a lot of things about Jacob that look like they're imperfect to me. And there is. Uh, There's a lot of things about Jacob that would be hard to love. I mean, supplanter, deceiver. His methods were not always right. But why was it that God's wrath, it seems like, was turned to Esau. Why would God use such strong language that he would actually hate a man? And then I study the life and and I begin to look at the personality that Esau possessed. The Bible said he was a profane man. That doesn't mean that he was profane just in language and and, and the use of language, it, like we think of profanity, but it means when he was a profane man that he had no value system for the things that were precious to God. He placed no value on the things that were sacred to God. 
And because of that, because his value system was messed up and that he only valued temporary things and, and, and finite things and things that would appease his flesh and bring him pleasure, and he had no regard for the things of God and the importance of the things of God. He had no value system. He, he couldn't put the proper appraisal on things like a birthright and a blessing of God that would be placed upon the firstborn. And out of just momentary hunger, he said, I'll, I'll trade it all for a bowl of lentils. I'll, I'll just, if you'll give me some of that stew, I'll give you anything you want. And he gave in to his impulses, and God said, that's what I despise about him. And then when he sought repentance, Bitterly with tears, the Bible said he couldn't find it. And I've looked at that and studied that and said, man, that seems pretty harsh. But you see, God saw the attitude of that man that he was, he was just one of those guys that when he got in a jam, that's the only time he needed God. He was one of those guys that the only time he had any regard or respect for the things of God is when he needed a desperate answer from the Lord. And God said, I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm not going to be your fire escape. I, I, I'm not just going to be here to get you out of a jam. I want somebody that will serve me. I want somebody that will commit to me. I want somebody that will consecrate their life to me. I want somebody that's not perfect, but that has a love for sacred things, uh, that loves things that I value, that, that has a heart uh, and a tenderness towards the things of Jacob. You may not be perfect. You may not always get it right, but you're quick to try to correct it. You're quick to go back and try to fix it. You do want to please God. You, you, you've got humanity that you have to wrestle with and you've got some fleshly things, amen, that you struggle with. But I'll tell you, you've got a heart. You've got a heart for the things of God and that matters to me. Moses, even this great leader of the Old Testament, Moses, had many admirable traits, but he kind of had a problem controlling his anger at times. And the scripture says that when he saw the Egyptian beating one of his fellow Israelites, that he couldn't contain himself, and he slew that Egyptian. And that was out of the will of God. That wasn't something that God wanted him to do because God wanted him to eventually lead those same people out of Egyptian bondage. And he didn't want a blemish on his record. He didn't want them to be able to hold something up and say, you can't control yourself and you're not disciplined enough to lead me. He wanted him to have a good reputation. And then there was another time when God asked him to speak to the rock. First time he was able to smite the rock with his rod and water came out of it. The second time he said, I don't want you to smite it because this rock is a type of going to be a type of Christ and he's not to be smitten twice. And so we're going to speak to it this time. And out of his anger, he struck the rock. And really this was the penalty that he would not go to the promised land because he was not able to control his emotions. 
And I mean, in each one of these situations, you could see where it would seem fleshly justifiable, but things that make sense to you and I don't always make sense to God. And you've got to learn how to not be impulsive because it'll be problematic to you. Jephthah, one of the great illustrations and stories of the Bible of impulsiveness, the Scripture says that he, just in the heat of emotion, he made a vow that the first one that I see come out of my house, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. And it was his daughter that came out of the house. And he made that vow, and he lost his daughter because of that vow. It was unnecessary. It was a choice that he didn't have to make. It was a decision that he didn't have to make. Come on, is anybody hearing me here this morning? It's important that we be able to be warned by God and it's important that we be able to be rescued, as it were, from our own selves and our own emotions at times by the Spirit of the Lord checking us and touching us and stirring us and causing us to yield and say, you know what, I'm just going to wait on the Lord to handle this and take care of this. 1 Samuel chapter 25 tells us about a long conflict that existed between David and Saul. And because of this, David was very battle-weary. And, and he had been out in the wilderness really uh, getting by, just surviving. And his nerves were frazzled. And he was under relentless pressure. And his men were hunger, hungry. And you know how hunger can affect uh, a person. And... and uh, he knew that there was a wealthy man by the name of Nabal that was nearby that had plenty of flocks and herds, and he wouldn't miss a few uh, of the herd or the livestock, and he could provide for his men to eat and get the nourishment that they needed. Matter of fact, he had been a security blanket for this guy. If any villains or anybody would try to come in and steal from his flock, he would protect them. He said, I've been a wall to him, so I'm going to send some guys down there and see if he would permit us to take a few off of his flock and a few off of his herd and, and eat them and find nourishment. And he was appalled that Nabal did not allow it to happen. Matter of fact, he ridiculed David because Nabal was a churlish man. And so David, that set a short fuse. And David said, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to take that man's life. He said to a group of his men, he said, I want you to, put a sword, strap it on. He said, I want you to go down to Nabal's house with me. He said, we're going to take his head off. Here we've done good by him. Here we've protected him. Here we've watched over him. And he's done this. And a servant went and told Abigail, who was the wife of Nabal, said, David's coming and he's furious. He's mad and he's going to wipe Nabal out. And Abigail knew the anointing that was on David. She knew, she knew what he was destined for, the throne of Israel. She, she knew that God had his hand upon David. She said, this can't be. And so she gathered up some groceries. She got some servants to come with her, and she took some mules along with her, and they went down there and headed David off before he reached the place where Nabal was. And she fell on her face before him and pleaded with him and said, No, David, don't you realize what's going on here? This is just a distraction. This is a way that the devil is trying 
to destroy your destiny. This is, this is an act of the enemy. Don't do something like this. And it was because of her pleading with him and because of her warning him that he was able to forfeit a big failure and mistake in his life. And later on, he said, I believe I'll marry that lady. After Nabal's death, he said, I, I believe I'll take her to be my wife. Amen. You need to stay close to a voice, the voice of the Holy Ghost that will speak to you and talk to you and deal with you and keep you from making a mistake that could destroy your life or at least it could be a scar that you would have to live with for a long, long time. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Would you pray with me right now? Come on, let's let the Lord deal with us. Let the, let the Lord talk to us. Let the, let, let the Lord have His way in our hearts right now. Let the Lord speak to you right now. I don't want to be knee-jerk, impulsive. Because... God's got a will and God's got a purpose and God's got a call. And I don't want to do anything to hinder him from fulfilling his purpose in our lives. You say amen. In Revelation chapter 17, John describes many things throughout the book of Revelation that are just astonishing and almost seem like a science fiction book. But he describes an amazing sight here in chapter 17. He writes that he saw that great harlot that was dressed with purple and scarlet, was decked with gold, pearls, and drunk with the blood of the saints. What a sight. What a spectacle to behold. But I read in, in verse 6 something that I grow alarmed when I, when I look at it. It says, because when John saw it, I wondered with great admiration. I wondered with great admiration. That bothers me. Because if he'd have used the word astonished, I, I could understand it. Heartbroken, I'd understand. Disgusted, I could identify with that. Afraid, I could see why. But I wondered with great admiration. That word admiration conjures up thoughts that maybe he was tempted. Maybe he was even seduced by that spirit of the end time. We're not just talking about anybody here, but we're talking about John the Revelator. This is the one that walked close to him. This is the one that laid his head up on his chest. This is the one that could hear his heartbeat. This is the one that was there with him to the very end. This is the one that was persecuted and boiled in oil and banished to the Isle of Patmos, yet he would not deny the Lord. This is the one that in spite of his unconducive environment, that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He didn't let that affect him. He, he still worshipped. He still got in the Spirit. He still let God move upon him. He saw the coming and the catching away 
of the church by the Lord and wrote about it. He saw the new Jerusalem. He saw the very throne of God. And when you read that, you'll find that there is really only one other person that even writes about it in detail like this. And that was Isaiah when he wrote about those four beings around the throne of God, those seraphims crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, He which was, which is, and which is to come. He witnessed the saints worshiping around the throne. And yet when he saw this spirit, this alluring spirit of the end time, says that he wondered with great admiration. But hold on, John. Just, 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 just hold on to your faith and, and don't make an impulsive decision and, and don't, don't get caught up in the heat of the moment because what seems so alluring, what seems so appealing to the flesh and what seems so tempting now, if you'll just read on down just one more chapter later, it is destroyed, the Bible said, in one day. John, don't get caught up in the moment. John, don't get sucked in the vortex of something that is so fleeting and so momentary, so temporal and and doesn't matter and isn't going to last. Can I tell you things that might seem so satisfying to the flesh and things that might seem so appealing to the flesh and things that may seem so tempting to the flesh and things that may seem like that's that's the thing to do at this moment in time. If you'll just hold on and if you'll let the Spirit of God deal with you and help you and strengthen you and fortify you against that temptation, amen, you'll realize that that seems so formidable in your life, that that seems so great of temptation, that power that was against you, that obstacle that was against you, that opposition that was there, whatever it may be, that attack that the enemy brought against you that makes you want to give in and give up and discouragement and walk away in disappointment and say, I just can't live for God. I just can't serve Him. I just can't fulfill His will in my life. If you'll just hang on, you'll realize in just a little while that that seems so strong really isn't all that strong. In just one day, the scripture says that it was destroyed. I'm going to tell you the thing that opposes you, God can bring it down in just one moment. That thing that stands against you, God, amen, can give you victory over it in just one moment. That thing that seems so formidable in your life, if you keep the faith, God will give you the power to be able to stand against it. And that that seems so great in just a little while, God can bring it down. Oh, come on. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship the Lord. Let's give praise to Him. Hallelujah. 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 Come on. Let's give praise to the Lord. So I guess the message here is this morning. Is don't take something that is so precious, like the anointing. Don't take something that is so precious like the Holy Ghost in your relationship with God. Don't take something that is so precious like your connection to the church. Don't take something so precious like your convictions 
that God has placed in your heart and for a moment of satisfaction in the flesh, just cast them overboard. Let them go. But I stand here today in defense of the sake of the wares. I stand here in defense of some precious things that we need to hold on to in these last days. Because it won't be long, John, till you'll see that God is able to bring it down. God is able to destroy it completely. I want you to slip your hand over to somebody. I want you to pray with them right now if it's appropriate. That the Spirit of the Lord would move in here and help somebody. I'd planned on going a little different direction here this morning, but as I got closer to this service beginning, I felt this on my heart. I felt a nudge to go this way. Amen. Maybe it's because I stand here as an Abigail before David that said, It's not worth it, David. It's not worth it giving in to that. It's not worth it going down this road. It's not, it's not worth it appeasing your flesh for just a moment. If you're not careful, you're going to ruin everything. If you're not careful, you're going to lose your anointing. If you're not careful, the hand of God could recoil from your life and you'll never get it back. But you need to take a moment and think about it, David. And David said, you know what? That's a wise woman of understanding right there. I think I want her in my life forever. Amen. I'm going to tell you, there's, there's a voice that's trying to speak to us here this morning. God's trying to get our attention here today and help us. Maybe somebody stands at a crossroad. Maybe somebody stands at a place where you're making a decision and a choice that has got a lot of things tied to it. And it's a very important thing. I'm going to tell you, you better listen to the voice of the Lord this morning. You better hear God's message here for you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Because you could be like those mariners that are looking around saying, I started out for the purpose of following Jesus. I, I started out for the purpose of making my journey to heaven. And I started out, but I, there's not much left now. I've let the devil destroy everything. I've let the devil take away everything. I've let the devil scar me. I've let the devil ravage me. I've let the, just an empty hall, just nothing left. Nothing's in the hole, just hollow. Because I gave in to the temptations whenever they came. And one by one, I tossed things overboard. I let things go. And it's destroyed my life. Amen. Somebody hear me this morning. Would you come to this altar? Let's, let's pray when we come down here. Let's talk to God. Let's don't just find a place to sit down and let this time pass. Let's come and get a hold of God. Let's come and seek the face of the Lord. God will help us today. God will give us direction today. God will speak to our hearts today if we'll allow Him to. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, before you throw that overboard, before you cast that into the sea, before you let that go, you better reconsider. You better reconsider. There's some things it's hard to get it back once you let it go.
You let go of your prayer life and it's, it's harder to get it back. You let go of your commitment to God and your faithfulness to God. It's hard to get it back. You, you let go of your virtue, young lady, and it's something you can't get back. Amen. You, you let go of certain things in your commitment to God and your consecration and convictions before the Lord. And it's hard to ever build that fence again. It's hard to ever get it back again. We can avoid all of that this morning. Let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord talk to you. Let the Lord deal with you. Let the Lord help you. Come on, let's talk to Him. Let's seek Him. Let's call on Him. Let's reach out to Him. Hallelujah. Come on, before you, before you let that go, before you cast it overboard, before you say there's no hope, before you say that's too heavy a burden, before you say that's too big of a cost, that's too much, I can do without it. You better realize that's the reason for the journey, sir. That's the reason for the journey, sister. Hallelujah. That's the reason why we're here. Hallelujah. 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 That's the reason why we're here this morning. Praise God. Let's talk to Him. Let's seek Him. Let's call on Him. Somebody reach out to Him.